You're listening to Marginalia, a podcast from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Marginalia is a space where the pastors and staff of New City discuss the scribbles and the margins of our weekly sermons and life together as a community. I'm Abby Mersh, Director of Communications for New City, and today I'm sitting with Brian Ferry and Josh Rotano, and we're going to talk about John 11, 17 through 37. Hey! I'm back. Hello! Don't call to come back. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. I forget how to do this. It's been so long. You're doing great so far? Oh, good. They say the first four seconds are the hardest, and mm-hmm. then after that, it's just all... Like riding a bike? That's... <laughs> <Podcast>. <laughs> I got on a bike not too long ago and fell over, so I don't know what that not means. Not a good omen. No, not a good omen at all. Well, what do we do? How does it go? You You've guys forgotten. Gotta, I've forgotten. Well, on Sunday, you know, you had probably the best Bible memory verse of all time. Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five. So I was thinking, is there something that makes you weep that your family mocks you for? Uh, do you, what, what makes you tear up a little bit? Uh, Man, that's tough. I I cry like a baby every time on TBS or TNT we see a rerun of um, the movie My Girl when uh, Macaulay Culkin gets stung by the bee and dies from a a, a, a bee sting. Kids, kids, since I've had children especially, I think even before, but any kind of sad kid story gets me. But Macaulay Culkin's character gets stung by this bee and... And dies and uh, watching the little girl process it, I cry, cry, cry. Yeah, that's tough. There's one song I love to listen to called I'll Follow Your Trail by Sean Rowe, and it's about kids growing up. There's another one, Three Little Girls by Eric Clapton, <laughs> that the kids are always like, Dad, why are you crying at that? You know, little cats in the cradle kind of thing. My, if I could interject a, a lighter one, perhaps. I think that um, would be good. My. My wife will laugh at me because every once in a while, watch every once in a while, I'll watch highlights of um, Michael Jordan's flu game uh, from the I think it's the 1996 NBA Finals when he was sick and and played terrifically, but he had the flu the whole time, and I, I get I get teared up in that one. I always tear up at all the the stories they run all day before the Super Bowl, you know, and I think those oh, are yeah. designed to make you weep. It's like that's absolutely they are. Yep. You know, they they measure their success in number of cries. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I frequently like tear up over. I don't even know how to describe this, but like beautiful light. So like the sun setting and how it comes through the window. Or how it hits houses. So I'll be like, Mike, you got to see this. Like, look how beautiful this is. And he's not normally as moved as I am. So. And you, you actually, you. I will tear. I can tear. Not like What about like the, the glint in, in your husband's eye? Like the way the light hits his eyes. Does that do it for you? No. No, not the same. <laughs> All right. Well, Just I tried, Mike, landscape. if you're listening. I tried. I tried. That, and then there are several, oh, not several, but a handful of Hamilton songs that I will cry through. So. Hamilton the musical. Wow. All right. Well, this week uh, we turn to uh, John chapter 11, as we mentioned earlier, and we've been in the Gospel of John uh, the whole new year and all of 2020, and we've been looking at these series of conversations that Jesus has with different kinds of people, people in different kinds of situations, and each of those encounters, I think they 
John, the gospel writer, uh, designs them to give us a, a different window into who Jesus is, but also uh, a new way of processing another angle to process the Christian faith. And so this week we looked at Jesus' encounter with Mary and Martha, the graveside of their uh, brother Lazarus, who's died, and we called Jesus and the mourners. And we were in the sermon and throughout the week in our community groups thinking about the question, how does God come to us when we experience grief and loss? So that's what we'll be talking about today. But we are going to take a short break as we have sponsors and uh, we've got bills to pay. This week, Marginalia is brought to you by School of Rock in Cincinnati. Are you ready to rock? Well, if you are, you need to check out music classes here in Cincinnati. Everything from camps, workshops, individual lessons to get you ready to play the music we all love. It goes from kids down as young as three years old all the way up through adult programs. Brian, your kids do School of Rock, right? Absolutely. They love it. All of them or is it a couple of them? All of them. All of them have on and off, yeah. My youngest has taken drum lessons through School of Rock. It's been mainly We Will Rock You is what he's learned to play. Uh, But great classes. And uh, the nearest uh, location is in Madisonville, correct? Yep. Right down the road. Our second sponsor this week is the Hamilton County Board of Elections. You know, Super Tuesday's coming up, and that means everybody's got the presidential election on the brain, which also means it's time to register to vote if you haven't done that already. You know, this is kind of important around the country in general, but all the more important if you live in Hamilton County, because let's be honest, if you live in Hamilton County, your vote counts more. I know constitutionally people will say that that's not the case. <laughs> But it does count more. Why, you ask? Well, because Ohio has been a swing state in presidential elections all the way back to the Nixon administration. And Hamilton County is the largest swing county in the most important presidential swing state. Ergo, everyone wants your vote if you live in Hamilton County. And so Hamilton County Board of Elections needs you to register. Their tagline, or at least I'm imagining their tagline (laughs) is, Hamilton County Board of Elections, we're better than you. And I think the U is in reference to everyone else in the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. But right, right around the corner from here. It's located right. in Norwood, yep. Ohio. Here in Norwood. Right here. Yep, here in Norwood. So register. Well, thanks for tracking down those sponsors. Well, yeah, I mean, it, they're beating our door down, frankly, um, yeah. with the the popularity of our listener. It's true that we have out there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, grief and loss. We're talking about today. Um, so I use a. a kind of an exercise, mental exercise, the beginning of things on Sunday that um, I think I ripped off from from uh, an acquaintance of mine, Tuck Bartholomew, but this notion of sort of, if you could take post-it notes and write down the things that are um, that make life most uh, enjoyable for you uh, on the one hand and things that make life most meaningful, purposeful um, for you. And if you were to write those things up, uh, you know, on post-it notes and plaster them on the wall and all of us would have at least a handful of things and some of us would have dozens of things that we would write and put up on the wall. Um, as the decades go, some of those notes mm-hmm. come down off the wall. Mm-hmm. And, and that is one way, I think, of, of thinking about our experience of being human. On the one hand, we have the wonder of that there are things you get to put on the wall, right? The, the world is created with goodness and joy and laughter. And on the other hand, things come down, right? As time goes, things fall apart. And so in thinking about that, um, what do you think we learn um, from this text or really from John's gospel in general maybe 
or maybe you just want to even zoom out just what you've learned from being a part of the church or being a part of um, the Christian faith about God's uh, view of that, God's experience with you in the midst of that, you know, when you are, when you're suffering loss, grief, things being, you know, the things that you have brought you joy or meaning and purpose coming down off the wall, so to speak. I think when the things that we hold dear start to get stripped away, start to come down off the wall, my experience is a little like at the beginning of the passage um, where they say, look, Jesus, if if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. And there's this sense that, that my immediate knee-jerk reaction is to blame God and say, well, you did this, you caused this, or you could have stopped this, um, and sort of immediately go down that road. And I think we talked some about it on Sunday. God can take those things. Um, you know, that's okay to approach. I mean, Jesus received that, pushed back a little bit. Um, but it, it's it's hard to understand, I think, when something happens, it goes, you know, the why question, why? And I immediately go, you know, well, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. I mean, I can, I hear myself in that question in the story. Yeah, I think it's not like the big tragedies in life for me that have been the hardest to walk through, but more the quote-unquote smaller ones of relationships being fractured or, you know, a certain opportunity not working out the way I thought it would. Those are the ones that have been, that have worn me down maybe more versus the grand suffering of life because that's actually an experience where I've been able, where Jesus has met me very graciously and I felt his presence in those. It's more this like, why did this happen like that? Like, why am I not friends with this person anymore? Or, you know, why does X in my life look like this when everyone else's looks like Y, you know? Um, And so I think just the knowledge that Jesus is for me, he is with me, um, and that that is my greatest joy in living into that. And just an opportunity to make that true in my life, I'd say. Yeah, I think maybe the greatest thing I've learned from Christianity, and I did not grow up in a, a Christian home, um, is I think when I first discovered Christianity, I, I I assumed that maybe what would happen is if I placed my faith in Jesus and began to follow him, that that I wouldn't be subject to the same pains and difficulties and hurts and sorrows that I was before, that somehow that was a way out of it. That was, I would be protected from that. And it was a, it was a hard lesson to learn that that that's not the case. Um, but on the other hand, it's, um, been really wonderful to recognize that what Christianity does, it, it does not exempt us from these things, but it, um, definitely gives us a resource in which to draw that, I did not have, um, even as I was grappling with difficulties and pain and struggles beforehand. And so even when we talk about the problem of evil and suffering as it crowds into our life, you know, when I'm tempted to doubt, it is a bit of, um, you know, like the disciples say to Jesus at one point when Jesus says, are you going to leave too when other people have left? And they say to, to whom else, mm-hmm. where are we going to go? You know, mm-hmm. where are we going to go? Um, because, the reality is, is this is one of the great levelers. Suffering mm-hmm. comes to us mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that Adam's family thing? I say sometimes, you know, that I, I'm sure I heard from somebody else, but one of the Adam's family movies, you know, one of the, one of the girls is at Tuesday that is, um, dressed all in black and 
she's with some other kids and they said, well, why are you dressed all in black? Nobody's died. And she's like, just wait. You know? <laughs> and, and that is a bit um, of what life is like to some extent. And that's not all life is, but life is that, mm-hmm. that, you know, if, if, if you haven't had suffering, just wait. And, um, and that happens to everybody. And so if, if we struggle intellectually or, or whatever it may be with God and that you, you can, you can jettison God um, or, or, or Jesus in particular from your worldview, but that doesn't make the problem go away. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, to circle back around, um, what do we have in those instances when we have Jesus? Well, we have a, you know, we have a God who knows what it is mm-hmm. to suffer. Hears us when we cry mm-hmm. out. I mean, the ability to mourn. I mean, we are called and taught how to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. There really is not the comfort without the mourning. And I don't, I think mourning generally makes us uncomfortable. Maybe I'm projecting that. It makes me uncomfortable. And my kids are suffering. I just want to fix it. Like, I, you know, what you might call minor sufferings. All the stuff goes growing up, part of growing up, right? Just going through stuff that hurts. Um, when I see them mourn, I just, or when I see them hurting, I just want to stop it. I don't want them to mourn. I don't want to mourn with them. But my faith says, you know, Jesus wept with them. He knew how this was going to end, but yet he still, Jesus wept with them. And that's, we're called to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so there is a emotional intelligence and maturity that comes through mourning with people. And we have a, a faith that allows that. I mean, we, one of the things that I think I really enjoy, and this is kind of dark. I like when we pray the prayers of lament mm-hmm. um, in worship. I mean, if there's one thing we've got more positive feedback about in all of our years at New City is our Mother's Day prayer. Mm-hmm. We do a prayer of lament, lamenting that, you know, this is a day of celebration. You know, the other 23 hours, 58 minutes of the day, everyone will be lauding mothers. But we just take a moment to say there's a God who weeps with you, who hears you, that there are is pain also wrapped up in this? If you're estranged from your moms, if you want to be a mom and you can't be, if you've lost your mother, I mean, all those things, just to take a moment to name it, that's can be a really powerful moment. And it trains us in how to name these things, how to lament, how to mourn, which is how you ultimately, I think, get to the comfort. But it makes me very uncomfortable to try to mourn with somebody who's mourning or hurt with somebody who's hurting. I just want to fix it. just want to get away from it. And a plug for the prayers of lament, and we sing a lot of songs of lament during certain seasons too, is that sometimes we sing those songs when my life is going really well. Mm-hmm. And so it can be like, this isn't for me. But that's an opportunity, or I've seen that as an opportunity to pray that in community with someone else. So, you know, to look across the church. And I know this song is the cry of someone's heart, and so I can pray that for them. And I know that song will be the song I need and three years, five years, 10 years, because there will be a season where I'm suffering. And so holding that in my heart, but not seeing those as I don't need those songs, I don't need that prayer, but choosing to enter community amidst the singing and the prayers. Well, that's one of the beauties of it being corporate, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is that it doesn't have to be just for you that day, right? Is that Just what you're saying is uh, exactly what uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says in his book on the Psalms, Prayer Book of the Bible. He, he has a a passage just on that about like, you don't have to, you don't have to go through the mental gymnastics or even the soul searching to try to say, uh, is particularly if we're singing a Psalm, but, but, but the same kind of thing with a hymn is, um, 
you don't have to say, well, does this fit my circumstance right now? You know it fits somebody. Um, and so therefore we can, we sing for them. Mm-hmm. You know, we sing for somebody who might not even be able to get the words out, mm-hmm. you know, in that way. And we carry each other in that. And that is kind of a beautiful thing. I, one of the things that I love, well, we didn't talk about it very much, but on Sunday in, in that text of um, John chapter 11 is that image of the community of mourners, you know, mm-hmm. of, of Mary and Martha having a, a group of people around them, yeah, which is exactly what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12 when he tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to weep with those who who weep. But I love, um, I just discovered it this week, but that Potamius um, of Lisbon, who was fourth century um, pastor, he said, you know, God wept, moved by the tears of mortals. What a what a strange thing that Christianity claims that God wept, moved by the tears of mortals. We have a God who cries, and I was I was moved again thinking about the statue of Jesus that's called Jesus Wept that stands outside the Oklahoma City bombing memorial, and uh, just what a what an incredible faith that we have that we claim Christianity claims the Bible claims that God enters into our sadness, that death affects him too. Even Jesus, you know, if death hurts everybody, we all experience that. It hurts him as well, and and he weeps with us as we weep. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't solve everything, but it, boy, it, I think it does help. <laughs> it certainly gives us, um, it, 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 when, to feel understood matters so much, you know, in the midst of pain and suffering and confusion, and to know that, um, that God has taken on flesh. He is, um, to use Dorothy Sayers' phrase, he's he's uh, taken his own medicine, so to speak. He's he's suffered the afflictions of this life, uh, life in a fallen world. That's tremendously comforting to me. And a good reminder that us weeping with those who weep is following Jesus and that we don't need to have the answer necessarily. Like our ministry can be that of tears. Yeah, and sometimes that's what's needed. Sometimes you do need to speak, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Jesus speaks more to Martha than he does to Mary, and there's ministry of truth, ministry of tears, but and take some discernment to know which is which. But um, just to be be present with people, I think, uh, is is a really wonderful thing. Another thing that I, I found um, encouraging, uh, I don't know about you guys in this story, but John Calvin commenting on it, he says he looks at Mary and Martha. And he sees there is them as elevated figures in the story. They're not demeaned, but they're elevated. He says how many defects there are in the faith of even the best people. He does point out um, things that, like I said on Sunday, about a complaining faith and a, a collapsing faith and a confused faith. How many defects there are in even the faith of the best people. And I gather from that um, that one of the lessons of the story is that defective faith can be real faith. And I take a good bit of comfort in that. I don't know if you guys do as well. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really, I guess I didn't really <laughs> ask you a question. I, you. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Very good. I will say. Why don't you share your top five defects, <laughs> if you would? I did like Martha getting a little airtime as being a figure to follow because mm-hmm. growing up as a woman in evangelical churches she was usually the bad guy in every story don't be a martha always be a mary and so i enjoyed your perspective this is a story that foils luke's account and just not that she is the hero by any means but that she's an example to follow so i like that yeah i, I mean uh, frederick bruner makes a big point about this in his commentary on the gospel of john about the differences that exist between Martha and Mary, just like the differences that exist between any 
you know, two people we might hold up. And um, the complexities of human nature are such that what may be a strength in one scenario may, may be a weakness in another. And so his perspective is in Luke chapter 10, clearly Mary is exalted um, by the, the gospel writer. Um, she's the one who sits at the feet mm-hmm. of Jesus. In Luke 10, you know, Mary's held up as, as taking the better part, clearly. And then in uh, John 11, you know, it's Martha who goes out to get mm-hmm. to Jesus, even with her confusion. She's the one who gets there. And, uh, and it's only later that, you know, that Mary is able to go. And so I, I do think there's something really wonderful about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Martha seems to really trust him. She says, I know this is going to be fine. You know, she's, she's right there. Um, you know, it seems like maybe she's got, um, you know, she's got the faith in this instance, you know, what I was looking for, but you're right. Martha tends to get the, he tends to get the bad reputation, but not in this passage. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys, when you think about that call to, um, to weep with those who weep and, uh, to follow Jesus, as Abby said earlier, and, um, and learning to love people who are in the midst of their mourning. What does it look like to, to try to become a community like that? So I think there's two sides of this. There's You're the person who mourns, and then you're the community around the person that mourns. And I think you have to consider yourself. You're, you're never squarely in one camp or the other. <laughs> you know, There's always something in your life that you're mourning, and there's always an opportunity to move towards someone in love. Um, but if we consider it kind of two different identities. If you're the mourner, I think you need to be willing to be vulnerable and to share what's really going on. And that doesn't mean oversharing or that you have to just tell everyone everything. You can still have boundaries in that. And so there's a piece of vulnerability there. Um, And then I think as the community that mourns, you need to have eyes to see the needs and stop being preoccupied with your life. Um, And looking up to those around you not demeaning their stories, not holding their stories in comparison with yours. And it's instead letting us mourn our lot to mourn. Yeah, I mean, figuring out how to empathize and be present with people. I mean, Jesus was the master of this. He was able to connect with Mary and Martha in different ways in both of the Luke 10 and John 11 stories. I mean, just having that emotional intelligence to be able to really be present with somebody, feel what they're feeling, um, and enter into it, you know, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice as if it were your own experience. And it does mean you have to get over yourself. You know, consider others as more important than yourself. Um, not just blowing over people's things as insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recognizing that like, although, you know, particularly I'm thinking of me and my kids, you know, they're really struggling with something and I'm just like, get over it, you know, mm-hmm. rather, rub some dirt on it. Um, but really starting to enter into that pain a little bit, try to understand what they're going through and really mourning with those, even if it seems insignificant to you, or you have your own battles that you're fighting to take the time to get outside of yourself, as you said. Two things I'm thinking about too. I mean, one is um, recalibrating what our expectations are for what does it mean to be in community. Um, meaning that we should just expect as the church that there are going to be people who are coming into our community, people we've known for a long time, perhaps, but, but newcomers who are here specifically because they're in pain, like that should be the, mm-hmm. that's, that's the norm. Like that's going to be the case. And it's one of the reasons why, you know, the church has uh, intentionally been set up by Jesus and, uh, and we're constituted this way as a, a Presbyterian church to have diaconal ministry, like, 
you only have diaconal ministry because you know that there are needs, right? And uh, one of the things our Book of Church Order says that the deacons, one of their roles is sympathy and service. And it says, after the example of the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure exactly what, there's no proof text for that about what specific um, uh, instances they were thinking of. I mean, there's hundreds you could choose from in the life of Jesus, right? But it could be one like this, you know, sympathy and service after the example of the Lord Jesus. And then it goes on to say that we're to be people, deacons in particular, to be people of warm sympathies. And I think that's really a call for all of us. Deacons lead us in that. But um, really something we should all be striving toward, just recognizing, you know, the expectation when we get there is not just only we're only going to see all our friends and it's going to be great and we'll get revved up and get some food for the week, you know, um, soul food for the week um, to inspire us. But there's going to be probably somebody who's there is hurting and needs a connection. And that's a really, that can be a really wonderful thing. I think the other thing um, that I'm thinking about is, the ability to be served when you're in those scenarios as well. I mean, one of the ways to stay in community when you're really hurting is allowing yourself to be uh, helped. And that can be hard for, it can be hard for me. I don't, you yeah. know, I like, I, I like to feel like I can, you know, batten down the hatches and put my head down and get through whatever it is that I'm going through. But one of the ways that you're able to stay in community is to be on the receiving end of some help. And I think that's a really wonderful um thing to think about as well and 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 when you do that uh it creates opportunities and openness for the next time you know that somebody else is hurting as well Mm -hmm. and that's what I was trying to get out earlier about being vulnerable and not just necessarily saying what you're going through but being willing to receive the help and then I think it's also receiving the help however the Lord brings it to you instead of it's easy to have this idealized notion of who should be serving you, how they should be serving you, mm-hmm. you know, or at least I can go into that, what I expect in a time of need community to look like and instead being open to what is the community that the Lord is forming around me. And that might not be people who I've ever met. Like I was shocked after we had Phoebe, like how many people who I didn't really know that well at the church moved toward us and brought us food or sent us gift cards, dropped off baby clothes. And that was really cool. And if I had been holding necessarily to this vision of what I expected this time of need to look like in my life, I could have missed how the Lord was providing for me. Actually, that's actually beyond pain and suffering is actually a really good framework or rubric to think about friendship as well. Mm-hmm. You know, the more rigid we have of our example of like, this is what friendship will look like. In other words, in order for you to be my friend, I need you to love me exactly like this, rather than, well, one, recognizing that probably our friendships are going to come to us. The thing, our needs are going to get met through more than one person in most cases. And so rather than trying to squeeze everything that we need relationally or help when we're in pain or whatever from any one person, um, but being able to you know, with an open hand, take what God gives you through the people that he brings across and recognizing it's probably going to be a whole smorgasbord of people through which Jesus uses to, to meet, um, your needs. But then on the flip side, also that frees you up from thinking you have to bear the entire burden. I mean, the, the, the part about helping people in need, and one of the reasons we can be reticent to it is if we don't have a good sense of differentiation where, where somebody else ends and where we begin, then the idea of the first time you enter into something like that and you don't have any differentiation and you think you have to take on all the responsibility, it's just going to suck you dry and you're never going to want to do it again. Oh, or it's going to be a long time. You're going to have some sort of shell-shocked um, experience. Whereas if you're able to delineate, like, I want to help, I want to be a part of the solution and be able to articulate, here's what I can do. 
you know, and, and, and just offer, this is what I can offer. Um, I think that's sets you up well to love people, lots of people and people over the long haul. And that takes a lot of humility to recognize your limits and that you're mortal and you have time and money constraints. And so I think that's been a huge thing for me is acknowledging my limits and acting within those. And that's set me up to serve people sustainably in ways that I'm able to. Humility and confidence too, right? Mm -hmm. Like confidence in a recognition that if you're people pleasing, in other words, you know, it's, it's real easy to get, um, uh, I was going to say manipulated, but it's not even somebody necessarily who may be trying to manipulate you who's in, in pain or suffering. It may just be like, they may have that moment of like, this is what I need and I need you to do it. Mm -hmm. And you might be able to, you might have to say, I, I don't know that I can do all that. I'd love to, I'd love to help you how I can help you. Mm -hmm. Here's what I can offer. Open hands, offer it, and then be willing to receive whatever the response is and, and not feel that sense of I have to do everything that's does take confidence and it does take a some boundaries to be able to say you're you I made this is what I can offer and the rejection is hard though if because that's what it feels like it feels like a rejection if you don't have that sort of clarity between you and me and you're expecting more and I just can't give it and then I feel like I'm not enough or I'm rejected so take some maturity there my college pastor would talk about our time at Purdue, like that RUF, the campus ministry I was a part of, like it's the work of the Lord. It's not the work of Brian Davis, our college pastor, or Abby Murish, Abby Mauer then, or our student ministry team. And I think when moving towards someone in love, like recognizing this isn't my ministry toward this person. I'm a participant in the ministry of the Lord to this person. And so that also relieves some of that pressure to do it all. Absolutely. And that, I mean, really what that does is set you up for, uh, a more sustainable life of service and love. So this is a quote from The Hardest Peace, which is by Kara Tippetts, and she was a PCA church planning pastor's wife who passed away um, from breast cancer a few years ago. And she chronicled her journey in this book, The Hardest Peace. Um, and she writes that it takes courage, humiliating courage, to step aside from your own sovereignty and imagine control and begin looking for the gift that comes unmerited. Yes, I'm talking about grace. Grace, by my definition, is the gift that comes unearned. It is hard to realize you may be living in the middle of the best story ever, that the story of breast cancer could be possibly a good story, a great story even. It would be easier to shake my fist at the test results and scream that it isn't the right story, but to receive, humbly receive, the story no one would ever want and know there is goodness in the midst of its horror is not something I could ever do in my own strength. I simply cannot. That receiving comes from the one who received his own suffering for a much greater purpose than my own. Well, if you like Marginalia, make sure and give us a rating, a review on Apple or Spotify. How does that work? People click something. Yes. They like There's, something. Yes. You open up iTunes, your podcast player in iTunes, pull up our podcast. I don't think it's called iTunes anymore. I think it's just called Apple Music. Oh, you can tell I don't use that podcast player. <laughs> anyway, rate and review us there. Those of you who know what you're doing on the internet, go for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> See you next week. Bye, all Farewell. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Marginalia. For show notes or for more information about New City Presbyterian Church, 
please visit our website at newcitycincy.org. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for listening.